Hi, everyone. It is John Panos, John McGrath, and we've just had Susan showing John McGrath how to upgrade his Cantonese and Mandarin skills. It's actually Mandarin. They were off, off, off there. Johnny, that was that was a pretty good effort there. Um, was that Mandarin or, or Cantonese? I think it's Mandarin. Davey Hong's taught me most of what I know from our China desk. But it's interesting, Tom, jokes aside, I find, because I know a little bit of, I know quite a bit of French, a little bit of Greek, a little bit of Italian, a little bit of Lebanese, tiny bit of Chinese, and it's a great icebreaker. You know, when you're with someone and you can say a few words and you only need kind of five to ten words in some of those languages, people just kind of, there's an instant connection. And, and since we're in a people business, and it's about making people feel comfortable and like you and trust you. I actually think, you know, learning a little bit of, of a number of native languages is really underrated. So I'd encourage everyone to do it because I, I sort of, as I said, I'm... I'm you're, you're, John, you're, you're, you're the master, whether it's Lebanese. I've seen you do it uh, when we meet uh, guys that speak Lebanese. Um, yeah. I see you do it with Greeks all the time. You are right. It's a nice breaker. It's a good 35, 45 second uh, conversation that helps you uh, get flowing. So uh, maybe that's the key thing that'll come out of this podcast. Learn a little bit of, uh, learn hello in uh, 25 different languages. Um, you might start a conversation better than your competitors. Yeah, no, I think it is. It's interesting. We did a little launch this morning um, for a new development at Castle Hill that we've had the great honour of being uh, given the appointment to sell it. That's 200 apartments in Castle And anyway, one of the owners is Greek and one of the owners, the two developers and one of them is Lebanese and their wives were there and, and you know, their wives are Lebanese and we were just sort of talking and I was asking them about whereabouts in Lebanon because I think, again, Tommy, curiosity, if you're kind of interested and they happen to come from a place where a mutual friend of ours, Paul uh, Checker, comes from, and, you know, that sort of leads to another. And you can just almost see the layers of, not that there's any defensiveness, you know, because we're all getting on particularly well, but it's kind of just people's eyes light up when you know something about their country and you know a few words and you're interested. And then we were talking about some of the dishes of Lebanon that come from her particular, uh, you know, one of the wives' particular parts of the world. And it was just a really nice conversation. And I think we forget in this age of technology, we too often default to the kind of technology and email and, text but the ability to converse and connect is really important so uh, yeah no just a little thing there but that was off the back of us going to Adelaide I was mentioning to you just before we came on uh, we were in Phil Harris territory on uh, Monday Tuesday we took all our leaders about 100 people from our company franchise leaders and, and company leaders down and Phil Harris he's such a legend and he came and gave us an amazing uh, 45 minute little Q&A I had the pleasure of asking him some questions and he told this story. I didn't know this, Tom. You probably did. But did you know that he was kind of an elite tennis player? He was playing doubles. With I did. Yeah, he used to I play did. doubles. He was on the circuit. Yeah. yeah. He, was on the, he was on the circuit. And, and, and believe it or not, Hector wasn't a bad tennis player either, but not as good as Phil. But Hector was competitive too. Well, I think Phil said he got to about 500 or thereabouts in the doubles. And obviously, Leighton Hewitt, you know, went kick on and became number one in the world. And and Phil says, you know, it's interesting because he said, I was kind of about that level, but he just kicked on to the next level and there was something about his mental approach and his mental state. And he just said, Hewitt was just the ultimate, Leighton Hewitt was the ultimate competitor. And he said, you know, in terms of, sure, he was talented, no doubt. Yes, he was fit, all of those things. But he put down his great success was probably to the fact that he just would not lose. He was mentally tough. 
and he was so competitive. Every ball, every shot, every point, he was mega competitive. And then I gave him, which I think I've given you, and you might have passed on to your gym members, that Novak Djokovic um, statistics. Yes, yes. You know, over the last yes. ten years, and he'd never seen that. So he loved that being a tennis player. Um, he loved that. So it was really interesting. So that that was particularly good. And while we were away, I gave a text the morning of the first day. Pete Chauncey said, just want to let you know, I've just done 24 sales for the month. And this is a few days ago, uh, which was fantastic. That's actually equals Adrian Bowe's record. Bowie did that for us in about 14, 2014. So, wow. Yeah, just- so we're talking about March, John? Yeah. yeah we're yeah, we're talking about this because as this podcast is being uh, uh, filmed, um, right now, we are on a Friday and you're getting this, our, our listeners get this on a Friday. So you're talking about the month of March, Chuancy did 24 sales. Months to date and you'll probably end up, I would imagine, I don't want to put a mocker on him, but it's 26, 7 or 8. So he will certainly break our 30-year record. Well, I mean, we've been around for 30 years, but the record's been standing for seven. But uh, no, just, and it reminded me, Tom, just to remind all our listeners, this is a market where you can almost set yourself up for life. You and I often talk to our people we're coaching about the importance of a good start to the day and the importance of a good January to start your year off. Well, I think this is a bit like that. You can create a wave of momentum and success right now if you're laser-focused and you're really on your game that could set you up for the potentially the entirety or the balance of your real estate career and just by really dominating market share. So... And hopefully the stuff we're going to talk about today and next week is going to help you know people in doing that because I think this is a really almost a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. I haven't seen – you've been around as long as I have almost, Tommy. I haven't seen a market this strong in 40 years. It's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, John, today the topic that we're going to touch on is, is closing your problem. Um, and we've touched on it before. Very important. Uh, unless you close, you don't list. And when we use the word close, we're not talking about you sitting there uh, with a big hammer saying, hey, this is my chance. I'm going to go hit it right now. That's not the what closing is. Closing is something that we define as a seamless uh, formality um, if everything else has been flowing. Um, but nevertheless, John, um, there are some real estate agents that will do the perfect pre-list. They would have followed up a listing for three to six months or maybe a year on their CRM system. Um, they would have stayed in touch and sent out necessary material, but they've got, for whatever reason it is, whether it's a self-limiting belief, um, fear of actually asking for the business, there's this gap between, hey, this is what I think we should do, and hey, let's get started. So I'd love to get your view, John, on closing. When you were in real estate listing and selling yourself um, on a day-to-day basis, would you ask for the business? Every time, be it a buyer or a seller. And I think you're right, though, Tommy, early on you are alluding to the fact that it's changed over the years. You know, in the 80s, you know, you're probably like me, you probably learned from people like Tom Hopkins and, um, you know, they sort of taught you a very structured and kind of as I look back, it was, wasn't was manipulative, I guess. You know, he, he didn't lack integrity, but it was almost like trying to get your client into a corner where they had to say yes. And I think, thankfully, the world's moved on, sales has moved on, great salespeople have moved on. And I think that that, you know, people on the other side of that conversation, you know, generally buyers or sellers, sort of smell that when someone is trying to do it. I think really um, closing or gaining agreement, let's call it gaining agreement because some people freeze up when they hear the word closing. 
it's a really a natural end to a well-researched, well-prepared, good quality listening and then presentation by you. And I think the reality is most people, Tom, have trouble making decisions about anything and everything. You know, you go to you know, buy a pizza and, you know, which topping do I want? God, it's overwhelming. Then you walk into, you know, some shop, you know, regarding perfumes or colognes and all of a sudden you don't know which one to buy. I think people have an inherent resistance or, or hesitation in making decisions. So it's really about helping them understand what are the options, understanding if any of the options are preferred to them. Uh, is there anything that's making them nervous about, about proceeding in one particular direction? And then just giving them the opportunity to say yes. Dr. Fred used to teach us and said, well, you must give everyone the opportunity to say yes. So my, my view is if you shift your paradigm and take it away from closing in the 80s and 90s and don't see it as, uh, you know, trying to lock someone into something they don't want, because to me you should never do that, this is just a natural end or, or next step in a good presentation. And if you've done the research, if you're great at what you do, um, if you've listened really intently, you've asked them some terrific questions to unearth all their goals, all their desires, all their fears, you've presented a solution, you've done a great pitch. To me, it's almost insanity that the at the end of that, there's not a question that sounds like, Tom, you know, based on the last hour we've spent together in our conversation, I mean, how would you feel about wor- working together? Whatever your version of that is, and that's just one version and, and it needs to be natural and comfortable to you. But, you know, just a question. And, and at the end of that, there's no guarantee, of course, they'll say, yes, where do I sign? But at least it's a much better chance of that happening than if you don't ask the question. And, Tommy, if they're a bit uncomfortable with something, at least you give them the opportunity to say, well, I'm I'm still not comfortable with the fee. And so then you can mm. isolate it and say, so if we could reach agreement on fee, would you feel happy putting me to work? And then usually if they say yes, at least you've then got a, a, a point of conversation that you can either agree or not agree on. So I think it is a critical, and I've seen it over the years as you have, separate you know, the best agents from the average agents. And I think what stops people, Tommy, is either a lack of preparation, people just mm. don't practice it and practice it until you can forget it, or B, more, more realistically, it's fear. People are fearful mm. that they're going to get rejected. And at the end of that answer, someone says, well, I don't know, I don't want to go with you. I want to go with the people up the road. And well, if that's the case, my belief would be clarity's power. You're better to know that now than sit around waiting for a week. And you might actually be able to do something about it, perhaps. So I think it's a really good skill, but at the end of the day, 30 seconds of courage can change your life. And if you've given a great presentation and you say, Tom, how would you feel about working together? And then you shut up and let the silence create the space for the opportunity for them to say yes, I think you're in a much better place. So it's really a trap for young players, I think, avoiding asking for the business. Yeah, so, John, there was something very profound you said in that last one minute about... Um, going through, you know, some of the detail that you've gone through before and you you sort of narrowed it down to to the fee and you said, you know, if, if we can resolve that, you know, do you think we could work together? Now, John, I think to everyone that's listening to this, it is so important to have that conversation face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball because, John, I get a lot of real estate agents telling me I've done everything right and then when I follow up, you know, a week later, two weeks later, or whenever it was appropriate, often people say, look, you know, we loved everything that you did, but 
we had someone there, the timing was right, and they sort of agreed with, you know, the figure that we wanted to pay. So it was just, you know, it gave us the green light to do it. It's too difficult often to have those conversations when you're not face-to-face. You're better off, and I think you're right, I think maybe there's this fear of, hey, if I have this conversation and the news isn't good, that's going to feel make me feel uncomfortable, whereas not knowing I might not feel uncomfortable for now, you know? Um, yeah, they so, see it as the ability, yeah, they see it often as the ability to preserve their feelings. But the reality is they're either going to hire you or not probably and you're better to know now and if they're thinking that there's a better option, perhaps if you know that, you can deal with it. But if you don't know it, you're right. Next conversation, you're going to say, gee, Tom, such a, I mean, how many times have you heard this? I was a flip of a coin. You know, you were great. They were great. I really couldn't decide. My wife liked one. I liked the other. We just decided and they rang us up and they got us at a, at a moment where we were kind of ready to make a decision and they brought the paperwork right around. But that, that now, some of that's true. Some of it's not true. Sometimes it really is. A, a split decision but uh, uh, other times someone else just asked them the question and it kind of felt convenient and if you're there in front of someone see one of the, the greatly underestimated things Tommy is people underestimate how much most people when they've actually have made the decision they want to move forward straight away so if you say yeah. Tom you know based on the conversation we've had and, and I've really enjoyed the last hour and I'd love to represent you and, and Sula and just you, you know how do you feel about it we'd like to work together and now, by the way, I've actually got the paperwork and I've even penciled in a photographer to start next Tuesday if that's of interest to you because then I could have the property open Saturday week and that seems like it would fit with your time schedule. And there's there's some, there's some excitement about, wow, okay, so we could move that quickly. Yep, I've got them all ready. And, you know, as long as you do it with integrity and you've got to have the photographer penciled in and you've got to be ready to go. But people love moving forward. Once they've made the decision, they procrastinate oh, the John. decision. John, I actually think, I'll give you a scenario. Constathopoulos from your Parramatta branch, he was he was kind enough and he gave me, for that, remember the day we went out there, he went out and had a bit of a conversation. He was kind enough and sent me this R.M. Williams uh, uh, voucher to, to get mm-hmm. some shoes, right? Anyway, so I've gone into the R.M. Williams shop and, you know, I've sat there and, like you said, I mean, people agonise about a lot of decisions. I said, I don't know whether to get this one or this one. They had different souls. And there was a salesperson there who goes, oh, yeah, I'm confused as well. Then another person came along and said, um, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm just trying to pick out between this. And he just said, look, I've got to say to you, it sounds like you're doing a lot of walking and you want something that's not going to wear out really quickly. Is that right? I said, yeah, he goes, take these ones. I wanted mm-hmm. someone to actually help me make that yes. I don't want someone to sit there because you can get into paralysis by overanalysis. And in the world that we're living in at the moment, John, I reckon there's so much information out there. People actually, you know, they know they they get over confused because entering the congested world of the internet and getting multiple mm-hmm. views of people often doesn't make things clearer. It makes it even vaguer. Yeah, people think more choice you give people, the, the, the better you are as a salesman and, and better customer service. And I disagree. You, you've got a guide. And, and what I love about that scenario, Tom, you just mentioned is they asked you a question or they picked up on something you'd said. So they actually were leading with an intelligent reason. Some salespeople say, oh, I think you should take the black ones. Or I think you should take the rubber sole. Whereas the right person said, well, you know, based on what you told me, and it sounds like you do a lot of kilometres, yeah, that would be my choice. And then you get this relief and all of a sudden you say, yes, it's probably what you're yes. thinking anyway. And if not, it kind of, you, you've just had someone help you make a decision. So 
Yeah, look, I think closing, that please, people, don't get stressed about it. Just practice, practice, practice the words. Find words that are comfortable for you. Find a place. And then just remember the, the, the concept that 30 seconds of courage changes your life. You need to summon that courage a few times a day. You might be asking a buyer for an offer or you might be asking a seller for a listing agreement. And if you do that and then you just leave the space and it's really important, the silence is such a critical part. Again, not to put pressure on people, but it's to give them the space. Salespeople talk too much. So, Tom, how do you feel about working with me? Because I'd love to work with you and, and I really love a home and I know it's a hard decision. I know you've seen 6A. And they just keep going on and on. Just say, Tom, how would you feel about working together? Would you like to put me to work? And then you shut up. And then yeah. that wonderful white noise at the end of that always proceeds. Almost every great thing that's ever happened in my selling life has been preceded by that two, three, four, five seconds of white noise. Feels like an eternity. There's kind of a slight often moment of discomfort, but then there's often a surge of energy and they look at each other if it's a partnership and they nod and they say, yeah, okay, we want to get going, John. Let's let's get started. And then there's this sort of like wonderful and they feel good about it. You feel yes. good about it. So, yeah, I, I really, I think that separates people from the pack. So hopefully that's helped everyone this week. One, one of my favourite lines I heard in one of the real estate gym interviews I did some time ago, and I don't remember who I interviewed, but... He said to me he'd been using the same sentence in pretty much any listing presentation at the pointy end, and it would be, what would have to happen today to you to feel comfortable to give me the green light and start working for you, right? Brilliant. And um, he said he just liked this concept of green, meaning go, you can do this. And um, he, he, he said often people would bring up, well, look, you know, I think I want to talk to you about the fee or I, I want to talk to you about the fact that I don't want to actually invest that much in marketing or whatever it was. That question, what, which is an open-ended question, opens up to find out where someone's thinking about the process at that given time, you know? I love, I love that. I love that. Please, everyone, listen to it again. Write it down. If you have to tweak it for your words, because I think, I think it is important that, whatever is the sentence or the paragraph at the end, it's got to feel comfortable for you. So please always use your words, not ours, but definitely have something that kind of shifts the conversation forward to some level of agreement or, or at least clarity regarding what the blockage might be. All right, Johnny, thank you again. We're going to speak to everyone next week. Next week is Easter. And John, I've got to tell you, it was such a weird feeling. I was nearly running out of battery charge today and my Tesla took me to Sydney Olympic Park where there's an NRMA uh, electric charger and I quickly charged up and I looked around, John, and the Easter show, everyone was taking in, they're doing their sort of bump in at the Easter show, all the people from the country, you know, animals moving in. And I thought to myself, it was only a year ago. I still remember it was only a year ago. They said the Easter show's off. People were basically uh, indoors. This was the period that we were in last year where we went into that six-week lockdown or mm -hmm. whatever that period is. And it's amazing how a year makes a difference. Now, John, you said you were in Adelaide. Can I ask you, what was it like? Are the airport, are there people in the airports? Is it Does it feel normal or is it heading to normal? It felt pretty normal. It's interesting, though, Adelaide, and I think they've had a little bit more of an issue than perhaps New South Wales and well, certainly in New South Wales um, and a few of the other states, it, it was when you got out of the plane, you know, you had to wear masks on the flight and then in and out of the airport, which is probably standard in most airports. But you then had to go and answer all these questions and fill out this form. And it was very much stricter there than it was in New South Wales. But as I'm doing it, I'm thinking, what 
what an absolute minor inconvenience, hold you up for five minutes, but to get us back to a normalised state. And I'm just so proud of Australia, so proud of New Zealand and, and the people within those countries because we are leading the world. And, you know, I don't want to speak too early or put the mocker on it, but it kind of feels like globally, you know, our two countries have, you know, led the world in best practice and, and discipline of our people. So, yeah, re really good. But, uh, you know, shout out again to Phil Harris and his team. They were they were very kind. They had some of our guys go go through and look at their office. Phil gave that great Q&A. So really good to be there. And one of the great cities I've ever been to, Adelaide. It's a beautiful city. So it was great. Okay. Quick promo. Eric, unless there's any surprises with COVID-19, is happening. Tickets are being bought. People are booking flights. I'm being called by real estate agents, gym members. They all know that they've got their special code. And I've got to say, John, I'm looking forward to it. I think the industry is looking forward to connecting on a, a physical basis. We're going to talk more about Eric, but, you know, we're a couple of months mm -hmm. away. Um, it's definitely happening. And, um, you know, I'm really, I'm really pumped to see Gary V again. You know, we see he's doing a, he's doing a, a live stream like last time, John, we did it yeah. by pre-recorded video and he's still got a very, very high, I think he got the highest rating. This time we're going to actually have him live on the screen. So guys and girls, Eric tickets, get your flights. You'll probably save a little bit if you book flights now. So, uh, John, I'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Tommy. See you, everyone.